So we've been talking about over the last few weeks the idea of um, realizing or understanding that people have value because God sees people with value. God created every single human being um, and he loves every single human and he wants us to realize that. Those of us that put our faith in Christ, that, that love that we received from him, that love is supposed to be and should be dispensed to others. And so we've been, we call it invest and because people are worth it, because people are worth the investment. And uh, we've just been looking at what Jesus was about because really, you know, if you're a Christian, you're a part of the body of Christ, you were the church, and we're supposed to look like Jesus um, individually within our own, you know, personal lives, but also collectively, uh, we're supposed to look like Jesus looked. And so Jesus was someone who um, was was loving. There's no, no one can ever doubt uh, Jesus's love for them. As a matter of fact, many of them would make the claims that they're the one whom Jesus loved. Uh, as John would write uh, his his gospel, and he would make that statement, "I'm I'm the one whom Jesus loved," and and nobody could debate it because he was. Uh, but so are you. And you could say that. You can go around and say, you know, if you want, you can tell people, I'm the one who Jesus loves, and no one should question it because you are. And, uh, and so he demonstrated love. He demonstrated he felt compassion for the, for the people that maybe we wouldn't feel compassion for at the times in our life where we wouldn't be able to sympathize with people because maybe their choices that they made or some biases that we have or some experiences in life that we've had with people that we wouldn't feel compassion. But Jesus felt compassion for those, those kinds of people. And so last week then we looked at um, the commentary on uh, the Christian life. We looked at a commentary, um, a study, some research on uh, what people that are maybe don't claim to be Christian, their views of Christians and what those who don't go to church or haven't professed Jesus as their Savior, what they think about you who may have or, or did profess Jesus as Savior. So we looked at last week, we, we showed you this, this chart. And, um, and we, what they did is they did a study. They did a study on those who are, uh, have the attitudes and actions like Jesus or in those who call themselves Christians who have the attitudes and actions like Pharisees. Uh, if you're not a Christian, if you're not familiar with the New Testament, a Pharisee was the self, these self-righteous religious people. They would hold people to a, a standard that they wouldn't do them themselves. They would demand things from people that they wouldn't, you know, you know, execute, uh, you know, in their own life. They had this front, this facade that they had it all together. Their external looked good, but their internal was empty. That was what a Pharisee was, or at least that was the accusations that Jesus made about these Pharisees. And so they did a study that based on the attitudes and the actions of Pharisees, attitudes and the actions on, of, of Christ-likeness, and what those who don't claim to be Christian, what they say about probably many of us, most of us in this room, they would say that 51% of those who claim to be followers of Jesus have the attitudes and the actions like a Pharisee. 
that they are self-righteous, that they are judgmental, that they are hypocritical, that they are homophobic, you know, that they only, you know, talk about what they're against instead of what they're for. You know, these are the attitudes and actions of what outsiders, those who don't call themselves Christians, think about Christians. That, this should, if you're a Christian, this should break your heart. This should, ah, oh, we don't, this is not the mindset that we want people to view when it comes to Christianity, and they say that um, 14% are Christ-like in action, Christ-like in attitude. They say 14% are Christ-like in action, but their attitudes are like Pharisees, and they say 21% their actions are like Pharisees, but their attitudes are Christ-like. But the, the, the commentary is, is that many look at us and think their attitudes and actions are self-righteousness, judgmental, hypocritical. So last week we looked at, boy, man, we can be judgmental and some attitudes that we take on, some actions that we take on. And so if you haven't heard that message, you can go on, on our website uh, and download and listen to that podcast. If you, I encourage you to do that. So today I want to talk about how we are hypocritical, okay? We are hypocritical, all right? And so here's, here's um, a way that uh, the word hypocrisy, where the word hypocrisy comes from and how they defined hypocrisy. And um, the way that it was defined was, was like this. We would, um, we would host uh, every single summer um, around here what we call Adventure Week. Uh, you may know it as uh, Vacation Bible School or something along those lines. And so we would have a theme. We would create a theme around our Adventure Week. Many of you, you know, volunteered at it. And so whatever the theme was, and we would have all these kinds of different, you know, you know themes that we would use. Uh, one year we did uh, Star Wars. That was sort of our theme that year was, was Star Wars. And, um, and so I'm not even really sure how it all transpired, but we, we get involved in the Memorial Day Parade. And while we're in the Memorial Day Parade, we advertise for our Adventure Week. And so way, the way we advertise for Adventure Week was we build a float based on the theme of that Adventure Week. And so that particular year, it was Star Wars. And so um, I eventually, I don't think we could get, find anybody, so eventually it just kind of came down to me. I, I had to volunteer to be Darth Vader. And so we rented, this, we rented this Darth Vader costume, and it was, like, like elaborate. I mean, this thing was, like, spot-on Darth Vader, and, and it, it had, like, a, a full-on suit and then another cloak that goes over top of it and all the things that Darth Vader wears. And then there was this, the, the Darth Vader helmet with the black boots, you know, and I was just, I was just decked out. The problem was is that day, it was, like, 95. You, might, you guys remember this? It was, like, 95. But I, I'm in this suit, man, and I'm walking down the streets of Walled Lake during the Memorial Day Parade, and it was kind of interesting. I was like a celebrity. Like, like I was like, people were like, 
not just kids, but adults were like, come over. Like, I want to take your picture. I'm literally running back and forth through the whole parade. It's 95 degrees out, and I'm wearing this, this Darth Vader costume. You know, and we finally get to the end of the parade, and we take off this Vader costume. I, I was lucky that I didn't die by the end of the parade. And I'm just drenched. Like, I am just drenched. And, man, it was just fun. One year we did a... Um, uh, we had a Minecraft theme. And kids, you know what Minecraft is. Adults, you do too because you're annoyed by it. Um, we had a Minecraft theme. And I was, I dressed up as this character in Minecraft that was called the Enderman. Well, the Enderman was tall. He was extremely tall. So I thought it would be a good idea for me to, to, to walk on stilts in the Memorial Day Parade. So I'm not only on stilts, but I'm also, if you know anything about Minecraft, everything is a, is a square. So I'm on stilts in boxes. Literally, I'm wearing boxes um, on stilts, walking through, you know, stilting through, whatever you call that, whatever that is, through the Memorial Day Parade. I mean, it was like chaos but I, I was like lucky not to die like it was just amazing that I didn't luckily I had my, my buddy Whitney there like encouraging me like let's go keep going you can do this you know and that year it was also hot and I and I thought I was going to plan ahead and wear one of those water packs you know what I'm talking about you fill them up with water and then there's a straw that you drink out of so I'm like I've got this and so by the time that I got all my boxes on and I'm standing on my stilts I forgot to put the hose in my mouth so I had a water pack on, and I had no access to it whatsoever. Like, I'm in this thing, and I can't even get to my water, and I'm like, I'm like dying. Here's the point of all of this. Here's the point. The point is, is that hypocrisy is like, they, they would describe it as like playing a character. That you're pretending to be something else that in reality, you're not. So I would pretend to be Darth Vader, but in reality, it's just me. But people would think that, uh, people treated me like I was Darth Vader. I would pretend to be this character called the Enderman, and I would go through extremes in order for me to, you know, demonstrate that. But in reality, that's not really who I was. And that's how they would define hypocrisy. They would define hypocrisy as us representing or carrying ourselves as if we're someone else. As if we're pretending I'm playing a role. They literally would show it or demonstrate it as if somebody's wearing a mask in a performance. That they're pretending to be a character to an audience because that's what the audience wants to see. And ultimately, that's what hypocrisy is. That we pretend to be something that we're not. We play a, a role. We play a character. And the interesting thing is, is that we adjust that role, we adjust that character to a particular audience. So when we go to our work, we're one way. When we, when we come to church, we're another way. And so we adjust who we are. When we're here, we're hyper-spiritual. Praise the Lord. We got our hands up in the air. You know, we pretend like we're listening to the sermon. And, you know, and we've checked off a spiritual box. And we go home and we get ready to go to work. And we're someone totally different. We, we are hypocritical in that way. And Jesus would say, everybody is hypocritical. Everyone is hypocritical. 
And Jesus, I think what Jesus is describing, when he described hypocrisy, or when he described calling people out on their, their hypocrisy, he would say that, he, he would say that why, are you, why are you pointing out the speck? Do you remember this parable? Why are you pointing out the speck in someone's eye when you have a beam or a log in your own eye? And so Jesus is ultimately saying to everybody at some level, from a speck to a log, everybody at some level is hypocritical. So let's just say that. Let's just come right out, right off the bat and say, we are at some level, some degree, we are hypocritical. And it's interesting, there's a quote by Mahatma Gandhi who said this. He said, somebody was asking about Christianity. He said, he said this, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Like this is the commentary. This is, this is what, and it's, and it's because we are like, we have Pharisee attitudes and actions. We are judgmental, hypocritical. This is how we are. So, what are the antidotes of hypocrisy? If we all could admit, hopefully, hopefully you can, that at some level, whether it's speck of hypocrisy or a log of hypocrisy, at some level we all have hypocrisy. So what are the antidotes to that? Well, here's antidote number one. Antidote number one is that we need to have a security in a perfect Lord. We need to have a security in a perfect Lord. What does that mean? Well, let me try to explain it through another story of hypocrisy, okay? Galatians chapter number two, Paul is writing this letter to this church, and he describes um, an, an encounter that he had with somebody that's familiar to all of us, if you, especially if you grew up in church. Here's what he says, uh, picking it up in verse 11. And, but when Cephas came to Antioch, you say, I don't know who Cephas is. You do know who Cephas is. This is who Paul called, this is what Paul called Peter. This is what Paul called Peter. This is actually a name that Jesus gave to his disciple Peter. He called him Cephas, which means rock, rock. Because Peter was a major piece, a major cornerstone in the building of the church and so Jesus said you know based on the statement that that Peter made that that you are the Christ the son of the living God and Jesus said upon that rock you know the I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against this and so he said from now on I'm going to call you Cephas and so Paul would call Peter Cephas and so when Cephas came to Antioch Paul says this I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. What a concept, by the way. I opposed him to his face. He said, he said this, verse 12. For prior to coming of certain, for prior to coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. So what happened was is that Peter realized after, after the resurrection of Jesus 
and after the ascension of Jesus, Peter realized that not only the message of Jesus was ju- not only just for the, Ju- was for the Jews, but the message of Jesus was for the Gentiles too. In other words, that the message in the gospel of Jesus and the forgiveness of sins and eternal and the gift of eternal life was for the world. It was for everyone. And Peter had to learn that lesson. Well, he did. And so when he went to Antioch, it says that he used to eat with the Gentiles. But then there was a group of people that came from James, or in other words, from the church in Jerusalem. They came and they persuaded or whatever the case may be, they, they, they caused Peter to, be, to withdraw himself from Gentiles, which by the way, which is probably all of us in this room, to withdraw himself from the Gentiles and, and hold himself aloof, which is a typical man thing to do, isn't it, ladies? It's a man to be aloof. Okay, I was hoping to get a better response for that. Okay, so, fearing the party of the circumcision. They were called, and this is just a little bit of a history thing, they were called Judaizers. They were called Judaizers, this party of the circumcision, these these people that came from James. They were called Judaizers. Judaizers were, were were this. Judaizers believed in Jesus, that Jesus was the Christ, but they also believed that Judaism was also essential for their salvation and their forgiveness of their sins. That they, yeah, they embraced Jesus and their old faith, Judaism. So it wasn't just Jesus only, it was Jesus and something else. It wasn't that Jesus was enough, which Jesus is enough, but it's Jesus and something else. These are who Judaizers were. And so Peter's there and he's seeing these guys, and these guys are Judaizers, and they're, and they're somehow convinced Peter, even though he knew better and he knew the truth, that he was afraid. He was afraid. He was afraid of not what they could do because Judaizers, they couldn't kill you. You know, they couldn't have you arrested and put you in prison. You know, they couldn't do any of that. All they were, could do was ridicule them. That's all they could do. All the Judaizers would do is make fun of or malign or ridicule somebody that only believed and said that Jesus is enough. That's all they could do. But Peter, for some reason or another, was afraid of these guys. Peter was like worried about what these people would think if he ate with outsiders. He was worried what they would say if he spent time with those that they considered to be not like them. And so he was worried about and and concerned about and afraid of what someone else would think. Now this isn't anyone in here, is it? I mean, there's not people in here that are Jesus and your job. That your, your identity, your security, your fulfillment, your happiness, yeah, you have Jesus, but you also have your career. 
That you're, you're worried about what somebody at work would think. You're worried about, man, if I made much of Jesus in my life, if I made him a priority, if, I, if my decisions were informed based on what I did at my workplace and, 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 and what they would say about me, if I decided that I couldn't you know, be a part of this or a part of that or say this or say that, boy, we're not that, are we? Or maybe it's, a, maybe it's Jesus and, you know, a hobby that you have. Maybe you're like, I, I, I love Jesus, but I also have this hobby that I like to do, you know, and it takes a whole lot of my time. And, you know, if I don't do this hobby, you know, it's just, I don't, I don't think that I, I don't feel like I have any value in this life. Or maybe it's Jesus and a habit. Yeah, you love Jesus, but you also have this habit. This, this habit has become a little bit more than something that you can control. Now you feel like this habit is now controlling you. And you love Jesus, but you also, and you make time for him on occasion, but you also, he's not, he doesn't have your, your whole heart. He doesn't have your whole affection. He's not number one. He's shared with something else. Maybe it's Jesus in a relationship. Maybe you're Jesus, you love Jesus, you love Jesus, but and I love her, and I love him, and he or she is not really with me. We're not really totally agree with where we are in our faith, and, and we're still sort of wrestling with that a little bit, and, but it's sort of, you know, it's holding me back from what God wants to do in and through me, and so you have Jesus, sure, over here, and as long as Jesus is compartmentalized in this place where Jesus is, you know, allocated to a Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Or, or maybe like some prayers before you eat, and that's about all the Jesus you get, but you have some other things over here. That's not us, is it? And this is what Peter did. This is what Peter did. I mean, you gotta think about this. Peter, like, but, but doesn't it sound like Peter? Like, doesn't it sound like one minute Peter's like walking on water and then the next minute he's sinking? Doesn't it sound like Peter, one minute he's proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God, you know, the, 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 the Christ, and then the next minute he's pulling Jesus off to the side and rebuking him? Doesn't it sound like Peter, that one minute, you know, he's in, the, in this room with his other disciples and, Jesus, and, he's, and he's making a proclamation to Jesus that, I will die for you, I will die for you. And then a little while later, a, a middle school little girl says, don't you go belong to him? And he's like, not me. Uh. Doesn't it sound like Peter? Kind of sounds like me too. Kind of sounds like a lot of Christians. One minute where we love Jesus, we're all for Jesus. The next minute something else comes along. And we give our affections to that thing. Oh, you still have Jesus, but you also have this too. You also have that relationship that is becoming the thing that you treasure. You also have that career that is the thing that you treasure. You have that habit that is the thing that you treasure. And Peter did that. Look what it says in verse 13 of Galatians 2. The rest of the Jews 
joined him in hypocrisy. There it is. Like Paul's writing this. And Paul's calling Peter out. Hey man, you remember Cephas? You know, remember Cephas, right? You're the rock. The rock. You're like a part, a big part of the, this, this thing called the church that's like exploding. But now you've sort of gone aloof and you've sort of withdrew yourself from other people. Because you have Jesus, but you also have this other thing. It's hypocrisy. With the result that even Barnabas, now if you don't know anything about Barnabas, Barnabas was like, he was just like the, you just read about Barnabas in the scripture. He just seemed like the sweetest guy in the world. You know, you know, you know these people? They're just so sweet and gentle and kind. They're just easy to be around. They're easy to talk to. You know, and Barnabas, is, as a matter of fact, he was, his reputation was that he was just an encourager. Don't you love encouragers? Don't you love it when you're down and you got somebody that comes around side of you and says, hey, it's going to be okay. You're going to be good. Things are going to get better. The best is yet to come. Don't you love encouragers? This is who Barnabas was. And you know what happened to Barnabas because of Peter's hypocrisy he even carried away he was even carried away by their hypocrisy even Barnabas was like well I guess it is not just Jesus only that it's Jesus and he got carried away by it and so Paul calls him out look at this in verse 14 but when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel I said to Cephas in the presence of all you mean he didn't even pull him off to the side? No, no, he just, in, in front of everybody. If you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? Peter, you know the truth. And you're living in the freedom of that truth, but you're telling other people that they can't. You're being a hypocrite. And the reason why he was a hypocrite was because of this. Because he was just insecure. He was insecure. He was insecure about things. And maybe, maybe for us, we're, we have some insecurities. And so we hold on to those things. We hold on to relationships because, man, if I've had just too many failures. I had too many letdowns in, in, in relationships. So I'm just, I'm just going to hold on to this relationship. So in my life, it's Jesus and him or Jesus and her because I just have so much insecurity in that relationship. I have so much insecurity at my job, at my career, because I'm worried that, you know, is it going to go away? You know, is, am I going to be let go if I don't put enough time and work and effort into it? If they know that I'm a Christian and I hold to Christian values and Christian principles, are, is that going to be held against me? And we have so many insecurities with that. Well, I need this habit in my life. I need to take this or take that or drink this or drink that because I just, you know, I can't cope. I have social anxiety, and so I just feel more comfortable. I feel more relaxed because I have so many insecurities socially. And Peter had some insecurities. He cared about what someone thought. Instead of placing his security and his identity and his life in Jesus only. And his career and his hobbies and his relationships are all byproducts that filter through Jesus only. 
because his security is in a perfect Lord. I don't care what you think of me. I don't care what your interpretation is of me. My security is found in him. Not in something or not in someone. My security is in him. And when you find your security, your identity in your perfect heavenly father, it is an antidote to hypocrisy. You will let go of the thing, or at least it won't be number one treasure thrown in your life when you make Jesus first. He's the antidote to hypocrisy. That's the first antidote. The second antidote is this. I don't know why I used antidote, but I liked that word. <laughs> antidote number two, integrity in our private lives. This is an antidote to hypocrisy, having integrity in our private lives. Here's what you, here's what the, Jesus addressed this. Now, one day, some Pharisees, these guys that were self-righteous, hypocritical, judgmental came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, we got to ask you this question. Why don't your guys wash their hands before we eat? What a, I mean, that's not a terrible question to ask, right? Maybe your parents have asked you that question. Maybe you're wondering why your kids don't wash their hands before they eat. But the Pharisees are wanting, Jesus, um, listen, we notice that when we sit down to eat or when there's time to eat, they don't wash their hands. They don't wash their hands. And Jesus addresses that them by saying this. Look what he says in Mark 7 in verse 6. And he said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. And at first you wonder, well, what does this have to do with washing of your hands. Well, this was a ceremonial cleaning ritual that the Pharisees established, that the Pharisees gave to people, that this was a ceremonial cleansing kind of a thing as if it's the external, as if the external is the most important thing, as if the facade or the front or what you see is the most important thing. And what Jesus is telling us here is this, that it's not the external stuff that makes someone unclean, it's the internal he would, he would then say this in verse 15. So he says, he gathers everybody together, and this is what he says. And there is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him, but the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. And so Jesus makes this statement. The crowds go away, and everybody's confused. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? As a matter of fact, it tells us that even his own guys were confused. Look what it says in verse 18. And he said to them, are you so lacking in understanding also? So this, his disciples come up and said, Jesus, you said this thing, you made this statement, but we don't get it. He says, are you lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from the outside cannot defile him? Verse 19. Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated? Which we, to which we say, gross, Jesus. Thus he declared that all foods are clean. 
Verse 20. And he was saying that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. And then he goes into some things that proceed out of the heart. Look what he says in verse 21. For from from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, verse 22, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness, just to name a few. And what he's saying is this. He's saying, listen, the, the, the problem is with our hypocrisy, the problem is, is not necessarily the, the external. The problem is when it comes to hypocrisy is the heart. The heart is the issue. The heart is what Jesus was always after. Yeah, the Pharisees pretended they put on a mask as if they were clean, as if they had it all together. But he says to them, your hearts are far from me. Your hearts are far from me. It's, it's like this. You know when you buy a house, when you show up, walk up to the house, and the house maybe look nice, right, on the outside? It's got curb appeal. You've heard this phrase, right? It's got curb appeal, and then you maybe go through the house or you maybe you hire an, you know, a, a home inspector, you know, and they walk through the house with you and they start showing you things like, you know, that you've got like, you know, the, a, a leak here, you know, and, or, and you've got, you know, the plumbing is bad here or, oh, wow, look at this electrical panel. That, look, that looks dangerous. You know what I'm saying? And then you go outside of the yard and, and you're like, oh, man, and you check the, maybe the sewer system or the septic and you're like, this is, this isn't good, this is not good. And then, the, and then they say to you, listen, yeah, this, may, this house might look aesthetically nice, but the infrastructure of the house is bad. It's, got, it's bad. And you wouldn't buy that house. You wouldn't buy it. As a matter of fact, one, one time, our, our first house, we bought a house in Kego Harbor, and it was literally, it literally said this, you've heard me say this before, it literally said about the house, a diamond in the rough. That was what it said. That was how it described the house. A diamond in the rough. And so we were kind of at the end of our rope with you know, trying to find a house. And so we were like, well, let's just go look at it. Let's just go see what it is. So we, we went in there and we had a, a home inspector with us and we walked in through the house. And man, it was. It was like, it was a mess. It was the, the, it was total, total mess. But he was looking at some of the things like the foundation. He was looking at the things, you know, the, the electrical and the plumbing and the furnace and all that stuff. He said, you know, this is actually in really good shape. He said, this is actually in really good shape. He said, there's a whole lot you got to do with like painting and, you know, and renovating like kitchen stuff and outdated all these things. But he says, who cares about that? He said that he said the internal stuff is good. And so we we bought the house. We got the house. Yeah, there's a lot of things that we had to do aesthetically, but the foundation of the house was good, which made it, which gave it value, which gave it worth. See, I wonder sometimes when it comes to Christianity, I wonder sometimes if we have curb appeal, but on the inside, the stuff that's most important, 
The stuff that you, know, that you don't want to mess with and you don't want to deal with. The stuff that you don't want to have to like change out, like the plumbing and the electrical and all the other stuff that goes with it. A new septic system, whatever the case may be. That is a complete mess. And Jesus would say, that's the kind of thing that I'm looking for. And that's what makes a hypocrite. What makes a hypocrite is what's going on inside of your heart. It's what you know that, man, you, you can, you can pr- pretend, you can fake, you can put on a facade. But you know your heart is far from God. You know what's going on in there. And I've said it before, you can fool me. You can fool your family, you can fool your coworkers, you can fool your, your people that you're in relationship with, but you can't fool God. Because man looks at the outward appearance, but God is looking at the heart. Curb appeal shouldn't seal the deal, the internal reveals the appeal. You like that? That's not what seals the deal. Who cares about curb appeal? It's the internal. It's the internal that reveals the appeal. And what Jesus would say is this, that that stuff that's in your heart, that's going to come out and that's what's going to make you look like a hypocrite. The stuff that you're not dealing with inside of your heart, that's what's going to make people go, I don't know if I want that. I don't know if I'm in for that. Man, they don't sound any different than I sound. They're not acting any different than I'm acting. They're still fornicating. They're still committing adultery. They're still lying. They're still being deceitful. Why do I need what this they have? Or what they claim to have, and that's Jesus. Why do, why, and, the, and the world's going, why do I need that? And the issue is, is that we aren't addressing the heart. That's what we're not addressing. On occasion, I'll ask my kids before I put them to bed at night. And I'll put my hand over their heart, and I'll say, how's your heart? And they're too young right now to even understand what I'm asking. And they'll say, it's, it's fine. It's fine. But I'm going to keep asking them that because that's, what's, that's what matters. How's your heart? How's your heart? If you're thinking something that you're like, I don't know where that thought came from. You know what Jesus would say? I know where that thought came from. It came from your heart. If you're going to act and you're going to do something impulsively that, that you're wondering, man, I never thought that I would do that. I never thought that I would act that way. I never thought that I would say that. I don't know where that came from. And Jesus would say, I know exactly where that came from. That came from your heart. It came from your heart. And that's what makes us hypocritical. Because we haven't addressed the integrity issue in our private lives. We haven't looked into the heart and said, I need to get this right. And so what will help with that is this, and I'll end with this, and I know I only got a couple minutes, but here's here's antidote number three. Here's, Here's what it is. Transparency. Transparency in our public life. That would help with that. You know what Christians are not that great at? Being transparent. 
We're just not. You know what Christians, you know what the, 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 those that aren't Christians, those that don't come to church, you know what they, they think? They think, well, they just think that they have it all together. They think they have it all perfect. We think that we're just these perfect you know, people, you know, and that's how we carry ourselves. Listen, the gospel reveals that we're not perfect. It already tells us we're not. The gospel informs us already that we're broken and that we need a savior to put our lives back together and that we need him every single day. And in every single day, we, we are in process of, of what God is doing in and through us to make us more like him. But we don't always get it right, do we? And it's okay. It's okay. Listen, here's our new mantra, all right? Just us, all right? Just, just, let's just make this our new mantra. Here it is. It's okay not to be okay. Can we just, can you just be okay with that? Can we not like, you know, how you doing? Blessed. Hey, how's it going? What's going on? Oh, he's still on a throne. Right? We have these all these Christian answers, you know? And then and then and then I and then so I'm like going, oh man, you know, like I do believe he's on the throne and I yeah, I, I'm blessed too, but boy, it would be just be a refreshing a little bit sometimes to just be transparent with each other. Like, eh, it's, I'm okay. Listen, it's okay not to be okay. It's okay. And, and, and don't feel sorry for me, but this is like a battle that I have to deal with every single day. And it's a perception that a pastor has to deal with every single day. And the, and the perception is, is that you're a pastor and you're perfect and you have it all together and you always get it right. And I'm just going to put you on a pedestal. And guess what? I'm going to fail you and I'm going to fall off that pedestal. Stop doing that to pastors. Because I'm broken just like you. I need Jesus just like you. And on the days that I don't get it right, you got to imagine what's going on in my heart. Because we're not perfect. Stop pretending like you are. Let's start being transparent. It works a lot better. It was what you see in Scripture all through the New Testament, all through the growth and the advancement of the church. It was people being honest and authentic with other people, saying, I don't get it. I don't have all the answers. I don't have it all together either, but I'm so glad that I have a relationship with Jesus that helps me work through it every single day, and I'm a work in progress, and I need him, and you should have him too. That's a more an effective outreach approach than, yeah, I, yeah you should be like me because I'm perfect. I have it all together. And then all of a sudden, out of your heart flows something that you're going, oops, I didn't want that to come out. And they're going to go, oh, yep, they're a hypocrite. When you just say, you know what, I struggle. I, I'm struggling. I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with that. I need some support and some encouragement. And that's okay.
That's okay. It's okay not to be okay. And those that are on the outside looking into this, they're going to respect that. They're going to respect you for that. So some antidotes, I think, are security and a perfect Lord, integrity in our private life, transparency in our public life. What do you think? Let's work on that. Because the commentary says judgmental, hypocritical, self-righteous. Let's not be that. Let's be more like Jesus. What do you think? What do you think? Let's pray. Father, when it comes to relationships with others, that's what we want to be. We want to be transparent. We want to be authentic. We want to be real. You gave real to us so that we can give real truth to others. Let's take off the masks. Let's stop pretending to be something else that we're not. Let's set our masks down and be real to every single person that we come across. Let's place our hope and our trust in you, Lord, as our perfect, perfect Heavenly Father. And we're secure in you. In our lives, what matters most is what's going on in our heart. And if we can be transparent about that, it's going to do wonders for our hearts. We thank you for giving us these opportunities. We thank you for building this community that we can be that for each other. Thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to see a, a baptism of a wonderful, amazing young man who just wants to live for you and honor you in his life. God, we thank you for the time together in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.